Morning. You can hear me okay? Very good, very good. So, we have been doing a series. Oh, my name is Steve Korn. I serve as one of the elders. I know most of you. If you don't know, that's who I am. I have a wife and two children. We live on Bayberry Court, where all of the events happened this week. Um, but by God's grace, and I believe his sovereign hand, none of us were home. And um, it was all something that had happened before we got there. Uh, we do have a bullet hole in our house, um, but it could have been so much worse. Um, and I'm grateful for the officers doing what they felt like they had to do. I'm grateful for all of our family and friends who called to check in on us. Um, God is good. God is good. In the midst of tragedy, God is good. And, and I don't know how to answer the questions about this woman and her family, um, but I know that God is good. And I don't know how he's going to work it out, but he is God, right? So, um, Joshua, we are here this morning and we've been doing a series, The Stories We Tell is the name of our series, and uh, we've been talking about different Bible stories, typically uh, ones that you learned as a little child in uh, Sunday school, if you were a part of Sunday school, Uh, but we are reflecting on how those things um, are, are pointing to Christ. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible is fabulous at this. If you don't have that, I'll plug, put another plug in for it. Many of the other guys that have stood in this position have said the same thing. So if you have, don't have a copy of that, get one of those. It's great. Um, there is a portion in the Jesus Storybook Bible about Joshua. Uh, I'm not going to hit on much of, of what they talk about there, but we are going to just kind of go through quickly um, the the well, not the whole book of Joshua. We're going to hit parts of it. It's, it's a long book. There's a lot there. And as you guys know, I can be long-winded. I'm already starting to be long-winded. I'm going to tell you a story before we start. Uh, Many years ago, before I was married, before my sister was married, my brother was married um, and had a a child. He was, I think, one and a half, maybe two years old, uh, my my nephew. Um, And we, as a family, my mother included, my dad had passed away at this point. Uh, But we had decided for Christmas we were going to go on a snow skiing trip. And so um, we, we did Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and then the 26th is when we were going to be leaving on our trip. But there were all kinds of weather advisory things that were going on. And um, my aunt, who was with us for Christmas, was telling us, you know, you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go. But we're like, it's skiing. You know, we have to go. <laughs> this is something we've been planning and waiting on forever. My family has skied for a long time since I was like four or five years old. We've gone almost every year. It's a big thing in my family. So we were excited about it. So we decided we were going to go anyway. So we took off and we started driving from the Dallas-Fort Worth area where my mother lives. And we began driving up through uh, West Texas, kind of up through the panhandle on our way to... Um, I believe we were going to Santa Fe that year in New Mexico. Um, And the weather hit. The cold front was coming through. It started raining on us. um, And we, you know, we felt it and we slowed down. And um, it wasn't too long after all of that hit us that we began hearing warnings about the road up ahead of us. And the road got more and more slippery. Um, 
they, they called it black ice. I don't know if you've ever been on black ice before, but it's basically a very thin layer of ice on the road. So you can still see the road, the black tar under it. Uh, but it, And so we were putting along at, you know, four or five miles an hour, uh, and that, that was the best we could do. And there were cars off to the sides everywhere. And, um, you know, big 18-wheelers, just all kinds of people that are stranded. Well, we get to this place um, where we basically they had closed the road ahead of us. So we couldn't go any further. But they had also closed the road behind us. So there was nowhere to go. And we were in this little town called Quana, Texas. And so we pull over in Quana, Texas. And of course, there is, you know, everybody is stranded. So it's not a huge town, so there's not a lot of hotels or anything. But there is no room at the inn, okay? We have been to every one of them, and there is no room at the inn anywhere. And so, we just went to a gas station. And we, it was a gas station that had a little Subway restaurant in it. And we sat down there for a minute, and then one of the guys in there has said, have you guys gone over to the Baptist church? No, what's going on at the Baptist church? And they said, well, they're taking people in. So we went over to the Baptist church. And we, that night, the, the, the Baptist church people had brought in all kinds of, you know, food and things to take care of people. And there was this huge crowd of people that were stranded. And everybody laid out on the floor of their gym and slept. We slept that night with many animals who were traveling with people. So we were sleeping with the animals. It's Christmas time. There's no room at the inn. You guys get the picture, right? Um, this pointed us and reminded us, of course, of Jesus' birth, right? This is what this whole series is all about. For you and I, we have things that remind us of things that we know from the scriptures. But in the Old Testament, before Christ had, had been incarnated and come to earth to show us who he is, in the Old Testament, they weren't reminders. They were hints, right? Right? And that's what I hope to point out to you is some of the hints that we see in the book of Joshua of the Jesus who is to come. And actually, Jesus himself shows up in the book of Joshua. So uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. So if you don't have your Bibles open, please turn it to the book of Joshua. I'm not going to start in the book of Joshua. I'm going to cover quite a few things, places where we see um, the character of Joshua show up before the book. Uh, and just kind of show you some of the things that had happened that led to this point. But we are gonna, our text, our main text is going to be from Joshua, beginning in chapter 1. So if you'll turn there, that would be great. First of all, I want to say, um, kind of the main, the main issue going on here, Moses has um, done his thing, or done God's thing, actually, and gotten the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. There has been, while they were slaves in Egypt, about 450 years where, you know, you don't really hear much about God. And then he shows up with Moses, and then Moses gets him out of Egypt, and then they began traveling through the wilderness to go to the promised land. And there's all kinds of events and stories, and Tyler covered some of that a couple weeks ago. Um, but the people sinned against God. And he told them, your generation is going to die, and somebody else there's some other the next generation is going to go into the promised land so the greatest need at this point for these people they've been traveling all this time they need rest they've been slaves for 450 years they're longing for the promised land which had been promised in Genesis 
I believe it was 15, to Abraham. And so they've been longing for that for years and years and years, and they've been slaves, and now they're wandering around in the wilderness, and so they need rest, and they're longing for that. So that's kind of the greatest thing that's going on here. Um, Joshua, his name, anybody know what that means? You can yell it out, it's okay. Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation, is what the name Joshua means. Jesus' name is the same name. It's transliterated from the Hebrew into the Greek. Um, it would have been Yeshua, which is Joshua. And in, as they transliterated it, it became Jesus. So Jesus and Joshua have the same name. Yahweh is salvation. So there's the first way that we see them connected to one another. Um, so I'm going to hit quite a few. And, and by the way, Joshua is descended from Joseph of Ephraim. Who, and Ephraim means double fruit. Jesus, obviously, descended from Joseph. I said Joshua of Ephraim, didn't I? Joseph of Ephraim. And then Jesus was descended from Joseph of Ephrathah, which, also mean, which means fruitfulness. So you got double fruit or fruitfulness. So their father's names were the same as well. And I just think that's, that's crazy. It's God. So, if my page will turn, here we go. Maybe. Exodus chapter 17. This is, I'm just going to hit quite a few in a row here. You're welcome to try to follow along. I'll probably be too fast for you on this, this portion. Joshua serves Moses by leading the Israelites into battle against the Amalekites. It's the first time we see him in the scriptures. Moses couldn't hold couldn't hold up his arms, so he had Aaron and some other guys help hold up his arms. And when he was holding up his arms, Joshua was leading the people, and he was successful in battle. Exodus chapter 24, Joshua goes up the mountain with Moses when he receives the law. Exodus chapter 33 says, Joshua would not depart from the tent when Moses would speak with God. So... He was interested in being with God, staying in God's presence. Numbers 11. Joshua tries to protect Moses' leadership when other people are prophesying. So the other people are prophesying, and he comes and says, you know, hold up, Moses. You know, we can't let this happen. And Moses says, no, they're prophesying for God. It's good. But he's, trying to, he's looking out for the leader of the people. He's serving the leader of the people. He's serving and, and, and as we know, the leader of the people, Moses, would be, bring the law to the people. So he's serving the law. Numbers chapter 13. Joshua was one of the spies that Moses chose to send out to the promised land. Remember the story? Sends out the 12 spies. They go check it out. They come back and they say, oh, we're, we're wimps. We're like grasshoppers to them. They're giants. There's no way we can take this land except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And they're like... We're God's people. Yeah, we may be tiny, we may be small, all of that, but we got God, right? So Joshua, at that point, he, um, he takes a stand against the other spies. And, and he, he sets himself apart as the one who is going to listen to God and put his faith and trust in God. Jesus, later, would become despised and rejected. 
Joshua was willing to step into those roles as well. Numbers chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that are going to be allowed to enter into the promised land. So God tells them, okay, you guys are the ones that have been faithful. You guys are the ones that I'm going to let go into the promised land. All these other guys are not going to make it. Numbers chapter 27. This is where Joshua begins to succeed Moses. Um, Numbers chapter 32, Joshua, it says that Joshua wholly followed the Lord. Deuteronomy, verse chapter 1. Joshua will cause, inher- cause Israel to inherit the land. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Joshua will conquer and lead the people into the promised land. So these are all things that God is saying is going to happen. Deuteronomy 31. And I'm just going to read this one to you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then later on in that same chapter, Joshua is commissioned by God in the tent of meeting with Moses. And it says this, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. I will be with you. I I, I can't imagine what this must have felt like. Moses the greatest leader that Israel has ever known. Joshua's going to step into those shoes. This is the man, you know, that God used to part the Red Sea, the ten plagues in Egypt. They received the law from Moses. And Joshua is the one who's going to be chosen to succeed. I, I, those are big shoes to fill, right? I mean, I, I, I was nervous filling the shoes of this pulpit today. It's nothing compared to what Joshua must have felt. And yet, God says, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. So again, we see Joshua is faithful to God. And he steps into these shoes, even though it may have been a very scary thing. The, the, the power of that phrase, I will be with you, is huge. And, and I can tell you throughout my life, I've hung on to that phrase over and over again. When I was in first starting college, I had just graduated high school. I had this girlfriend who I thought was the one, and I was just ridiculously stupid, but uh, weren't we all, right? <laughs> um, I had this girlfriend, and I, was, I lived in Fort Worth at the time. I was going to go to A&M, uh, which is what I did. I didn't hear any whoops. What's up with that? Not even my... Jason! <laughs> um, the, uh, so I was going to go to A&M. I, I go to A&M. Um, that was the plan. Uh, but the summer before... Uh, my girlfriend and I were sitting on the porch. I had gone away to church camp for a week, and I came back home, and I saw her the night that we got back. I believe it was probably a Saturday evening. And she came over to the house, and we were talking and stuff. I hadn't seen her for the week. 
And she was going to be leaving to go off to school too. She was going to go the opposite direction to North Texas. And um, so we were having this sort of tearful, what's this going to be like? You know, I'm going to miss you kind of conversation. Um, But really it was much deeper than that. Um, It was, you know, we're going to be leaving home. Um, We won't have our families. It was a scary, you know, time for each of us. We're kind of leaning on each other. And um, anyway, in the midst of that, I said, you know, I just come back from church camp. And I said, well, God will be with us. And it was the, well, I know now it was God. But the moment that I said, God will be with us, there was a falling star in the sky that, I mean, it wasn't just one of those, you know, those real quick ones that you just, you're not quite sure if you actually saw it. This thing, like from one end of the sky to the other, just, you know, huge. And it was like God was putting this exclamation point on my, my sentence that he will be with us. And that was what I believed in the moment. That he was absolutely, this was proof he was going to be with us. And so that evening, you know, the tears dried up. And we had some confidence. And the next day, I kind of felt about the same way we did before, you know. And we started questioning. Was that really a God thing? And, you know, all this stuff. Well, the day comes about a month later. And um, we leave and we go off to school. And we called each other every day. And that was back in the days when you got charged for your long distance phone calls and um but we did it anyway and we got in trouble by our parents because of the amount of money we were spending on long distance phone calls and um i came back home and she would come back home on the weekends and we would see each other on the weekends then we'd go back to school well about a month of so or so went on of that and i came back home one day and i knew something was up she didn't seem the same and uh things weren't looking too good for us. And so um, anything was wrong until we went back to our prospective schools and made the phone call to say, you know, hey, I'm I'm here safe. And um, she finally said she wanted to break up with me. And I kind of felt it before, but I didn't know. Well, in that moment, I knew, and I felt all alone. I hadn't made any friends at school because I was coming home every weekend I wasn't with my family. I didn't have any of my friends to lean on. And she's saying she doesn't want to be together anymore. And I was broken. And I was, I mean, the, the lowest point of my life to that point, probably. And so I went outside because I'm a guy. And I didn't want the guy who was my roommate to wake up and know that I was crying over a girl. That's what we guys do, right? We don't want the other guys to know uh, that we have emotions. So I leave, and I start, I go on this walk, and what do you think I saw? I saw another shooting star that night, almost as soon as I got outside, and the tears are flowing, but it was, again, it was one of those, you know, really long, definitely, you know, I knew I saw it, and I was reminded that God was with me, even in that moment when I thought I was all alone. And the next morning, I got up and went to my 8 o'clock class, which, <laughs> that was a miracle. Because <laughs> uh, it was probably 3 or 4 in the morning at that time, the time that this all happened. And then I went to um, a campus ministry and started getting involved with those people there, and it changed my life. Um, and so God was with me, um, even in that lowest point. The power of that phrase, when God says, I am with you, 
Hang on to that. Hang on to that. It'll make a difference for you. So now, Joshua chapter 1. Finally there, right? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. This, this story of Joshua is a story of grace. God has promised, and we're going to see in Joshua that God will give, he will be true to his promises. He will give them the land. Everywhere that their foot will touch will become theirs. So why, why did God make them do that? I mean, God could have just destroyed all the people and said, okay, you know, it's yours, you know, going in. Right? But he didn't. There are many battles, many struggles. Why? I think it has to do with relationship. I think, at least in my life, God is with me through the struggles. And when he's with me through the struggles, then I have to interact with him, right? I can't do it on my own and I need him. And so I begin to trust him more and he begins to work in my life and we have this reciprocal relationship going on as we go through the struggles. But if he just cleared it all, cleared the path and said, there you go. I would probably do what I did actually that first year of college. My parents were paying. Uh, I wasn't very serious about it. it. It was just handed to me, right? And I got some pretty bad grades and I wasted a lot of money. But God doesn't do it that way. He doesn't just hand it to you where you can take it for granted. He wants to build a relationship. This is not about the land. This is about our relationship with God. He's growing something here. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. There it is again. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Good success? What's the recipe? Follow the word of God. Follow the word of God. It's not our abilities. It's not our education. It's not our habits, our skills. It's not how much you can do or serve or build. 
It's how much we follow the word of God. Success is in our obedience to the word of God. Verse 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Another story. I took a group, when I was a youth minister, I took a group of students to an Indian reservation in um, Arizona. The, I'm not sure how, there, there is a correct way to say it. I'm going to say it wrong. Tahano Odom Reservation. And Tahano is not like, you know, the Mexican Tahano music. It's T-O-H-O-N-O. So anyway, Tahano Odom Reservation. It is the largest Indian reservation in the United States by landmass. I think there are more people on other reservations. But this one is by, by landmass. It's the largest one in the country. There is, it, it's, it's like going into another country. Um, the people in these homes, they, they have outhouses. There is no electricity. Um, it's like being in another country, and yet you are in the United States. And so we went, and we were basically taking the gospel to the people. Each of my students had to learn how to present the gospel, which I loved. Uh, they also had to learn um, how to give their testimony, which I loved that as well. Uh, before they could go, they had to do those things. And so we go, and we do like the vacation Bible school type things uh, with children that, that are on these, in these villages that are in there. And uh, then in the evenings, we would invite people to come to a worship service, um, block party sort of event. And uh, we would give their testimonies and then present the gospel to them. At one of these events, there was this man that came up and he told us that he, his daughter was one of the ones that we had been with all day. And he told us that he was protecting us. And that he knew there was a group of people that wanted to um, basically rob and steal from us. Um, but he told them not to do that. And that he explained to them that we um, you know, were working with his child and that they should stay clear of us. And I'm, I'm kind of, we're having this conversation. I'm kind of thinking, this guy's kind of big-headed, thinks he's got all this power and you know, all this. Um, but we went through the evening, we presented the gospel to him, and, and he, I mean, he shared with us and interacted with us just like anybody else, um, probably came on a little strong, you know, in, in his interactions with us. Um, so we get back to the base camp, and the guy who was leading the mission trip with us explained to us who that man was. And that man was the leader of the gang, the Crips on the reservation. So you've heard the Bloods and the Crips, right? He was the Crips leader on the reservation. And he controlled a lot of the drug traffic that went between Mexico and the United States in, in coming through the reservation. The reservation was one of the main places where those trafficking stuff happens. So this man highly unlikely that he would care anything about us and yet God was using him he, he very literally was protecting us and the, the mission leader uh, explained that yes this man does have control over literally thousands of people and that they will do whatever he says you know, at, at his, his word and so this man 
sinner for sure, not a believer, was protecting us. And he, in his interactions with us, he was very grateful for us bringing the gospel to his little girl. Uh, it, it was a crazy sort of thing. Joshua chapter 2, we're about to see a very similar thing. This is the story of Rahab, another unlikely person to help God's people. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly. By the way, remember when the, the spies were sent out the last time it didn't go so well because it was public, everybody knew about it? So he sends these two out secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, why would God's people, why would these guys, chosen ones, go to stay with the prostitute? We don't really know. But we do know it was probably a pretty good spot. I mean, if you were trying to hide in a city and there's a place where people are in and out of there a lot, that might be a good spot. And Rahab may very well have had a lot of experience hiding people, right? Who didn't want to be caught in what they were doing. So we don't really know why they went there, but I will say, you know, by God's providence, maybe there's something else there. Verse 2, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold men of, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Notice that the Bible does not condone her lying. Um, but there are some spots in here, which we're about to see, where you actually see she has some faith in God in some way. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. You hear the faith? I already know the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. There's some faith here, right? It may be small, but there's faith. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, 
For the pursuers will encounter you, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. And the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So the symbol that, they're gonna, that she's going to leave, so that when they, when they attack Jericho, she's going to put this scarlet cord in the window so that all of the Israelites know that they're the ones to keep safe. Everybody else can be destroyed, but we're going to protect these people because they watched over us. The scarlet cord in the window is the sign so the Israelites know of her faith. Of her faith. It's her faith that's saving her, not her actions. Because if it was her actions that she was being judged by, she was a prostitute. She would die as well. But her faith is going to save her and her family. The scarlet cord is the sign. Do you guys see the picture here? This is Jesus, right? It is by faith that we are saved. And it is the scarlet Cord. It is the blood of Jesus which saves us. By faith we are saved. In Jesus' blood. I love the fact that she doesn't wait either. Like as soon as they're gone, she ties it. It's a done deal. She is already identifying herself. Her identity is now as one of God's people. She doesn't hesitate. Her safety, she's placing her safety, her trust in the scarlet cord. She's trusted the men who have delivered the message to her. This is the same for us. Are we wholehearted in trusting the Lord? Do do we find our identity in him? When we feel unsafe, do we come under his blood? This is what she's done. In, in the New Testament, well, I mean, she's, all, she's a sinner, right? Rahab is a sinner. She's a prostitute. In the New Testament, we see Jesus dealing with the woman that's caught in adultery. He has mercy on her. Let him who without sin cast the first stone is what he said to those who were trying to stone her. And she was a sinner as well. Gentiles. We are Gentiles. We are not God's people. Not naturally. But by his grace, we, we can. We can be. Joshua would, be, would become Rahab's savior. But he would also become Jericho's judge. 
Jesus is that for us. He is our Savior, but He is the judge of the world as well. Chapter 3. The Lord said to Joshua, uh, this is verse 7, I'm sorry, starting in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I w- as I was with Moses, I will be with you. So they've now spied out the land, they've got their plan with Rahab, and now Joshua is going to go take the people across the Jordan River. And this is the plan. Uh, God tells him that this day is when I'm going to begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. Where are they? They're about to cross the Jordan River. When they're crossing the Jordan River, this is when God says, I'm going to let everybody know that you're my guy. I'm going to publicly declare you are the leader. What else happens in the Jordan River with Jesus? Right? When Jesus' ministry began, he was in the Jordan River and got baptized. God's voice from heaven publicly declared, he's my son, right? The Jordan River is like baptism. So as you read the book of Joshua, you can read baptism in this whole story that we're about to to read here. Um, I think it's a beautiful picture. They're, They're passing from slavery to sin and wandering in the desert into the promised land. That's what baptism is for us, right? We pass from Slavery. I'm sorry, they, they were passing from slavery in Egypt and wanderings in the desert. We're passing from slavery to sin and, and our own wanderings whenever we get baptized into God's promised land. Verse 8. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, covenant when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gerashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe of man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Did you catch that? They're going to take the ark, and when their feet hit the water... The water's going to be cut off. And where's it going to be cut off from? Do you see it? Oh, you don't. I'm sorry. I'm ahead of myself. (laughs) Uh, They've got to exercise their faith. So they've got to step into the water before it's going to stop, right? Let's keep going, I'm sorry. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped on the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. So it's it's at flood stage. 
the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Where did they stand up? Where did the water stop flowing from? From Adam. From Adam. Is this not a picture of baptism even more? It's by faith that we step into the water. And when we do, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that which flows from Adam, the sin that has been passed down, stops flowing. That which comes from Adam stops flowing when we've trusted in him. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. We enter a new relationship with Jesus. He cuts off the sin that flows from Adam. We're no longer controlled or threatened by sin. We can enter the promised land because Jesus saves. Yahweh saves. Joshua. Remember, it means Yahweh saves. Verse 17 says that they, they crossed over. In, in Joshua chapter 4, Israel put stones up to remind them of all the things that God has done in this place. In, in chapter 5, he... Um, well... This is another crazy story, but we don't, we don't have time. I had planned on going through this, but we're running out of time, so I'm not going to do it. But the, the people are circumcised again in chapter 5. Can you imagine this? The, the circumcision is, is the symbol that they have to show that they are God's people. And they haven't been doing it all the time that they've been in the desert. But now this new generation that has come in has never been circumcised. So God has them be circumcised as a symbol Circumcision. They just crossed into enemy territory. Jericho, which is one of the strongest outposts of the Canaanites, is right there. They're in enemy territory and they're going to get circumcised. This is going to incapacitate them, right? But God has done wondrous things. And then they did the stones that reminded them of all that God had done. When God does wondrous things and we remember what he has done, isn't it easier to radically obey? Right? When my father died, he died of leukemia. I spent a lot of time remembering and I wanted my life, I wanted to live it out in a way that would honor him. As I remembered all that he had done for me, I couldn't help but want to honor him in my behaviors. This is why they're willing to be circumcised in enemy territory. They've been seeing all that God has done and they've remembered and they've recognized that God is doing something new here. He's not silent anymore. He's with us. If you're having trouble with a radical obedience question in your life, 
I would encourage you to remember. Remember. Reflect on all that he has done. It'll make the decision easier. (laughs) Maybe not. It may not be easy because it is radical obedience. But it'll give you strength and confidence in your decision. Um, they do more remembering after that and they celebrate the Passover together and then they go to Jericho and they follow God's plan Jesus shows up as the commander of the army and he says to Joshua I'm sorry Joshua says to him are you with us or against us and he says no I'm the commander of the Lord's army And Joshua immediately bows down in worship. And then he tells them the plan for how they're going to attack Jericho. It's a crazy plan. You guys know the story. It's not typical battle. But it's God's plan. We've got to trust him in those moments. Again, it's radical obedience, right? It's radical obedience. That's what I pray for you. That you will recognize Jesus and all that he has done and that you can radically obey him. I'm not praying it just for you, it's for me too. If you have not chosen, I mean, when... when, when Jesus shows up and, and he says, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, the question that Mo- Joseph had asked him was, sorry, Joshua had asked him was, are you with us or, or against us? And he says, no, you got this wrong. I'm the one that should be asking you that. Are you with me or against me? Because I'm Jesus. You're just Joshua. And Joshua made his choice. He worshiped. And then he followed, radically obeying. Later on in in Joshua, we see him saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a question for all of us. We all have to choose who we're going to serve. Let's choose Jesus. It's only in him that we will find rest in the book of Hebrews, the only time Joshua is talked about in the New Testament is in the book of Hebrews. And it's talking about rest. And it says that there is another rest. The people believed that Joshua brought rest to them. That was their greatest need. But there is another rest. And if that were not so, Jesus wouldn't have come. If Joshua had done the deal it'd be over and Jesus wouldn't have been needed. The battles that Joshua would fight were to conquer the land. After Jesus' baptism, he began his ministry. The crossing of the Jordan, so to speak. He began his ministry. And his battles were spiritual battles. And they were not for land, they were for hearts. And we can find rest in our hearts, rest in our souls, in Jesus Christ alone. 
I would encourage you to seek him out, to trust him, to put your identity, your faith in him in the scarlet cord, the blood of Jesus. Only there will you find rest. Only there will I find rest. Let's pray. God, we come to you today. We're so grateful for the example you've given us in Joshua. We're grateful that he shows us and points us to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would help us each to choose you this day to follow after you with all that we are wholeheartedly to trust in you in the rough times to trust in you in the great times in the victories may we be the people that you've called us to be under your guidance and your leadership and your strength in Jesus name we pray